You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com. I mean, I have a yearly chat with this gentleman, and I look forward to it. Well, firstly, I look forward to the draft regardless. And then my chat with Connor Rogers, Bleacher Report, he's as good as it gets out there. Connor, tell me you don't look forward to our yearly conversation on air. I love it, Dave. And listen, there's a little bit more optimism around the Jets and Giants in the draft this year. So I'm glad we waited until the first two days of the draft were over. You're, you're 100% right. Let's start with the Jets. You know, it's amazing to me. It almost feels like there's a consensus that the Jets, through three rounds, through two days, have won this draft. Do you concur with that, that the Jets are the winners at this point? They're up there. They're absolutely up there. I think the Ravens have done a really, really nice job with the way they've completely remade the defense and gotten multiple first-rounders. But the Jets are in the top three easily. I, I mean, I love the players they got. They got three top ten players for me, Sauce Gardner, uh, Garrett Wilson, my top wide receiver, Jermaine Johnson, a pass rusher I was very high on. He's had quite the year after transferring from Georgia to Florida State, dominated at Florida State when he got more playing time, and had a really, really strong senior bowl. He looked like the best player there. and They, they kept going on day two. They're, they're taking the excuses off the table for Zach Wilson. You got Brees Hall, the top running back in this draft, by a pretty good margin. Big play guy, four or three wheels, big body, great feel. Uh, great feel as a runner in a scheme that you have to have that kind of vision and understand where to put your foot in the ground and get upfield. And then Jeremy Rucker. You know, they got two veteran tight ends, but uh, C.J. Uzama was banged up a lot last year. Now you got Rucker, who's a great blocker, a red zone threat with that catch radius. So they, they have a deep draft right now, and it's deep on offense as well. It's got to be exciting for Jets fans that are sick of watching a poor offense. It, it, it has to be. Uh, I mean, does it feel, Connor, to you like Joe Douglas really, I mean, really worked this, this you know, trade, you know, day stuff beautifully? I mean, he, he, he moves up and he gets Jermaine Johnson. He moves up, he gets Brees Hall. I mean, he had so many... Um, you know, pieces uh, and late-stage picks that he could throw in there and, and then move up. I mean, I, I just feel like he has, like, a chessboard, like he has manipulated this day, these days, beautifully. I agree, and that's a part of the draft that I cannot put, you know, I need to put a lot of emphasis on. Taking good players, having picks, those things, that, that's important. A big slice of the pie is understanding how the board's going to go and when to be aggressive. And honestly, this has been my biggest complaint with Joe Douglas so far. You can't take a 12-player draft class in the training camp every year. It just doesn't work that way. Day three picks are fun, right? Everybody loves a great day three Cinderella story. A lot of times you're drafting, especially coaches will tell you, they're drafting for special teams players on that day. The Jets have done that. 2020 was a really rough class, it's looking like. 2021 looks like a nice bounce-back class. Uh, but now they use priority picks this year. They use those day three picks to be more aggressive in earlier picks. And they still have, we're going to be on the clock early twice today. Pick 111, pick 117 at the top of the fourth round. Those are both top 15 picks in the fourth round. And, and then they're done, barring a trade back. So I like that they were busy in, a, in attacking blue chip players. This roster is a lot of, has been a lot of just guys. You need difference makers to win games in this league. You need difference makers to win in the AFC, which is getting crazier by the day. My opinion in this draft, they got big-time difference makers. You know what jumps off the page to me? And Connor Rogers, Bleacher Report, joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. You could argue best corner in the draft. You could argue best receiver in the draft. You could argue... Um, I don't think Johnson's considered the best, you know, defensive end, but but very good player. Maybe the best running back, right? You just mentioned that, and and maybe possibly the best tight end as well. 
or maybe the second best tight end. Like they they got a tremendous value where they selected. They really did, and and I ranked 315 players this year. I would say I comfortably got through about uh, over 400. Sauce was the best corner, in my opinion, by a wide margin because of Stingley's injuries. Garrett Wilson was the best wide receiver. That was really, really close, but in my opinion, he had the highest floor. Uh, He uh, exceeds at all three phases before the catch, at the catch, and after the catch, and that's what they need, a surefire player. I agree with you on Jermaine Johnson. He's not better than, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson, but he has a lot of polish. He has violent hands. Reese Hall, in my opinion, far and away the best running back. Jeremy Ruckert, tight end two, only behind Trey McBride, and definitely one of the more well-rounded players in the tight end group. So that's it. They knocked it out of the park by getting the best talent in position groups that, yeah, they had a lot of needs, so you don't want to give them too much credit there, but they still attack needs in a big-time way. In a big-time way. So let me ask you this before we even get to the Giants and the other teams. When the Texans went with Stingley 3, at that moment, was it like a huge home run for both the Jets and the Giants? Absolutely. I, I think the, Yeah, I think the Giants, you know, it's interesting because if the Texans went with uh, Sauce, I wonder if the Jets would have taken Aquanu. I believe they would have. And then, it, you, yeah, you have to wonder if the Giants, what they would have done. But I think they really worked out where this is where they were happiest, right? I think that with Sauce, traditionally solid scheme, they're not looking to just load up on all the top corners, but they really felt like this was their Richard Sherman now and that they couldn't pass up this opportunity, especially the way this draft class was built. There wasn't a Miles Garrett, in their opinion, at the top of the draft. So they said, you know what? We're going to take a guy that has multiple years of tape. We love his work ethic. We love his character. He's a high-end athlete. He has some of the longest arms at cornerback in the NFL already. Never allowed a touchdown in college. He tackles. He can blitz. And they feel good about that. It's, it's kind of getting, yes, he's a lockdown corner, but it's also a Swiss Army knife kind of player that can affect your defense in multiple ways. And then we saw the trickle effect on the Giants that, in my opinion, just worked out fantastically for their top 10 selections. We'll, we'll get to the Giants in, in just a second. But if you look at this for the Jets, and they were going to take Iquanu at four, what does that say about their belief and faith in Mekhi Becton? It's a great question, and I think it's a little bit all over the place. I think that, you know, because a lot of people are looking now and going, oh, well, they didn't take a tackle, so they're all in. And I, I agree, it's a good sign for him. But at the end of the day as well, the tackle class just fell off a cliff. We saw a lot go earlier. Tyler Smith went to the Cowboys in the first round. He was, a, you know, an early second-round pick, a good player, but absolutely he got the tackle run going really early. We saw Trevor Penning, in my opinion, a second-round player. He went in the first round. So I think when you look at it, Aquanu would have been – this guy is so good, and we don't like the draft board, so we're going to take him and then figure out the rest. Don't forget, George Fant is a free agent after 2022, so it could have even been Nakwanu Becton uh, future at tackle, and you don't pay Fant. They're go- I think they're going to get a deal done with Fant now, uh, and they're going to see if Becton can stay healthy this year, if he can get his conditioning right, and that would be huge if he could bounce back, because you know then it's one less need on the board, and it's a good look for Joe Douglas, but the coaching staff last summer definitely had some questions when Beckton had a rough training camp. So he needs to come in and, and have a big-time camp right away and get back on track. We are breaking down the NFL draft, which used to be like in a hotel room on a Wednesday afternoon and now is getting <laughs> millions and millions and millions of people to watch it. He is Connor Rogers, Bleacher Report, joining us here on a Saturday morning, 98.7 ESPN. 
All right, so let's slowly and systematically work our way through the Giants. Let's start with picks five and seven. I mean, I, I mean, I, I've been screaming that I can't believe they did so well to get the best edge rusher in the draft, and I, if not the best offensive lineman, the second best offensive lineman in Neil. Did the Giants hit a home run at five and seven? Yeah, A plus in five and seven. Thibodeau was my best pass rusher in the draft uh, over Hutchinson. I had Thibodeau as the second overall player. Hutchinson is the third overall player. Everybody loves Hutchinson's floor, but with Thibodeau, I love the ceiling. I just think he's somebody that you, that explosive nature off the football, the ability to convert speed to power, the long arm move, uh, the ability to beat tackles with the outside speed rush and flatten into the pocket. And, and I really like this effort against the run as well. I don't have those concerns that people have brought up. I think he played with a lot of fire. I think he's a guy that's going to thrive in the lights of New York City. I think he's going to be embraced that way, and I think he can make big-time plays. His closing speed to get to the quarterback is phenomenal. You're talking about somebody that was a five-star prospect um, that got to Oregon as a true freshman and had instant success. He's that kind of player, and I saw him get better over all three years. So this is what the Giants needed across from Aziz Ojolari, and I think he'll make an impact pretty quickly. While he rounds out the rest of his pass rush game, he could become a superstar if he could find that green light. And then you look at Evan Neal. This, to me, is the opposite. This is just a slow and steady, uh, great pick when you look at Evan Neal. He was the second-best tackle in the class to me, but pretty much side-by-side. He was right up there with Aquanu, and they're different players. Aquanu, a little bit more compact run-blocking player. Uh, Neal is a skyscraper. He's got excellent length and pass protection. I thought he was a little better than Aquanu as a pass protector, which the Giants really, really valued here. He started at right tackle in 2020. I think they're going to play him on the right side across from Andrew Thomas. I think that makes the most sense. This solves a massive right tackle hole for them, and they can get him drive-blocking downhill. His size allows him to relocate edge defenders, and that'll open up outside runs for Saquon Barkley. Maybe even get the read option going with Daniel Jones to get him on the run as well. So Evan Neal, you know, it's, it's a common phrase to say plug and play, but when you're a three-year starter at Alabama, you played in big football games, you played three positions, you're 6'7", you carry 340 as well as anybody I've seen. That is truly plug and play. All right, so where are we? Because it's been an issue kind of forever with the Giants' offensive line. We know they have the left tackle. We know they have the right tackle. Uh, they drafted the kid from Carolina last night. You tell me, where are we now? They, they signed a couple of guys from the Bills in free agency. Is the Giants' offensive line fine? Is it, is it good? Is it a question mark? Because it is a huge concern for years with this organization. It's adequate enough that you can evaluate Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley in this. That's what I'll say here. It's, it's, I think it has a potential to be better than adequate this year if you, uh, if you think that Evan Neal is going to be one of the best rookies in the entire draft, which I, I think he can be. I think he can be now. And I really liked what I saw uh, the second half of the year from Andrew Thomas last year. I really saw Andrew Thomas overall, not the entire year really, you know, take the right step when he's healthy. And I think he's comfortable at left tackle. So, it feels like, in my opinion, they have bookends at tackle. They're trying to get by in the middle, and that's okay. Feliciano will be enough for you. Glowinski is a good bargain signing. I will say that. That's one of those ones where if you had no money in free agency and you found a way to get him, he's a serviceable starter in the short term. And then when you look at Azudu, who they drafted last night, he's a tough guy in the run game. He can really move people in the run game. He can get on the move. He's a really, really good athlete, which I like. I think he played a lot of tackle in college, Dave, and now he's kicking inside, back inside the guard, uh, where I think he'll be more comfortable. I think that'll help his pass protection woes a little bit. So I'm fascinated to see if they're going to have him compete to be a starter. I I think they might. And this line is in the right direction. You're looking at it where you'll need a long-term center eventually. You probably need an impact guard down the road if you want it to be a really, really good unit. 
But the fact that it's serviceable this year with upside and Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal getting better is a huge sign for their future. Oh, thank God. All right, so when you mention Thibodeau, it, it sounds like maybe in your mind he should have gone one. I mean, do you think we'll look back and, and, and think, boy, the Jaguars messed this thing up by not taking him first overall? I think there's a lot that they could have done differently here. Thibodeau would have been a good pick in my eyes, but a little bit more risk because, once again, I do think that he he's rounding out his plan where he's so more athletic than everybody and he could be so much stronger than everybody. But if he really learns to develop a plan as a rusher, he could be a superstar. Now, with Hutchinson, he's somebody that has a well-rounded plan that if they took him at number one, I thought that would have been a better pick as well just because I think you know what you're getting with him. So – Thibodeau, Hutchinson, Equanu, or Neal all would have been better number one overall picks. When I look at Trayvon Walker, he's somebody that I see a, a good run defender, a big athlete with a ton of length. He's just a one-trick pony as a pass rusher, and that one-trick power uh, did not really convert to a lot of pressure and sacks at the college level. And that power, when you're a one-trick pony as power at the college level and it's not always working, everybody's bigger and stronger in the NFL. So I have some questions about the number one overall pick. And I think we're going to look back on this one and go, man, he's not a bust. He's not a terrible player. But there were a handful of players that went in the top 10 that were much more impactful. Connor, how good is this Giants front four now? You, you got you got Thibodeau, right? You got Ojolari on the other side. You got Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. Is that a, is that a really good front four? It's really good. Ojolari was my number one pass rusher from last year. And I liked what I saw in flashes last year, especially uh, converting, you know, those pressures into sacks in the quarterback where he finished the season with eight. Thibodeau is the guy. That's the guy that's going to draw the big-time matchups. Then the interior is very, very strong. This is, a, this is what the team is built off of right now, and they're going to get some help. Now, you bring in Wink Martindale. He's a guy that likes to play a lot of cover zero, a lot of cover one. They like to bring pressure. They like to leave their corners out on an island. Uh, I think that, you know, they're going to obviously look to upgrade even corner in the future down the stretch for the long term. But if that front four can get home, and even if you're bringing a blitzer, it takes a lot of pressure off of those corners and safeties on the back end. So this Giants front four kind of went from a, a weakness, a question mark, to my opinion, to a strength, just because of how impactful Thibodeau is right out of the gate and down the stretch. Um, when you look at the Giants rounds two and three, right, I don't know anything, and this is why I need you. The kid from Kentucky, the offensive guard slash tackle from North Carolina, and the corner from LSU. Uh, those are names that most people, even even people that work in the industry, not all that familiar with. How did they do there? It was okay. Wando Robinson, to me, is a good gadget player. It just kind of tells me they are – it makes me wonder what the deal is with Kadarius Toney because you don't draft Wando Robinson if you're high on Kadarius Toney because they really handle the same role. You like them in the slot. You like manufactured scripted touches to them to make plays with the ball in their hands where they make guys miss and get upfield. That's exactly what they do. You look at Wandale, you know, a short arms kind of uh, very short area, quick level player, a slot player. You can motion him around, pitch passes, sweeps, all those things. And when he has the ball in his hands, he is a lot of fun to watch. So I like the player. It just felt like a duplicate fit for a team that had uh, quite a bit more needs with the top 70 pick. I think Wandale will be good. I just automatically wonder, what is the deal with Kadarius Toney? When you look at the Zudu, I was saying earlier that, you know, a guy that's played tackle has been a part of huge run games at UNC. It's clear the Giants want an identity to run the football. He's going to fit in really nicely with that. He can get on the field this year, even for a third-round pick. Cordell Flott, to me, is a bit of a draft and stash corner. It makes me wonder if they do not like their options in the slot. I know they've had Darnay Holmes there. When you look at Flott, he's a taller, 
fiery player. He started in the slot the last two years for LSU. He's 175 pounds. So that's why the word I use is draft. You know, the phrase I use is drafting stash. There's not a lot of corners starting in the NFL that play at 175. He declared early. I think one more year of seasoning at the college level would have really helped him. But that LSU program just went downhill and he wanted out. You can't blame him for that. So if he can get up to 185, uh, still stay in the slot. Once again, even at that size, a very fiery player, a sticky player in coverage. I think everything's still coming together, though. There were better corners on the board. That's why that was the one pick I really didn't love. I liked the corner talent. I thought they could have got an upgrade on the outside. But it, clear, it goes to show you they really, really value getting better in the slot. And that's what Cordell Flott's going to do. All right, two more, and we'll make it quick so you can get on with your uh, your late morning, early afternoon. And that is, where do you see, what what kind of guys do you look at the Giants and Jets taking today? Because, I mean, Giants have a lot of draft capital, a lot of draft equity today. They moved down a couple times last night. Where do you see these teams going, and what do you, you see that these two teams need today? Yeah, so I said the Jets picked twice in the top 15 of today, and so did the Giants. The Giants have the seventh and ninth picks of today. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Giants take another swing at corner. I really like Kobe Bryant. If they want to take another swing on the offensive line and just keep trying, uh, there's players there. Jamari Sawyer is a guard from Georgia that I, that I really, really like. Reminds me of Ronald Leary. I think there's big-time value there. Darian Kennard played right tackle in college at Kentucky. I think he's an impact run blocker at guard. So I would not mind seeing the Giants look on the offensive line one more time and just feel really comfortable with not only the group they have but the depth they have. If they want to go linebacker, Malcolm Rodriguez is on the board from Oklahoma State. Um, there, there's a lot here, and I think both the Jets and the Giants might even look at somebody like a Perrion Winfrey, the pass rusher from Oklahoma that's an interior defensive lineman, because he's, a, he's a, a top 75-ish talent because he's so good at getting after the quarterback from the interior. He's just had ups and downs on tape at college. So, And, and then one more for the Giants, I would say. They should really cap. They have all these picks they got to capitalize on this tight end class and get a guy that can block. There's Jake Ferguson in there from Wisconsin. There's Kate Otten there from Washington, who's had a ton of blocking experience. Charlie Kohler, the pass catcher from Iowa State. I think this is a really, really good group of tight ends where you can get a starter going into round four and probably all throughout round five, including Daniel Bellinger as well. So the Jets and the Giants are in a good position to hear uh, with the way the draft has fallen. I think each of them can get two more impact-level players. So that's special teams, sub-package players, uh, certain packages on offense, especially 12 personnel where they're using a lot of tight ends. They're in a really good spot. All right, and lastly, uh, we've covered, and you've covered beautifully, the locals, the Jets and the Giants. Um, who else did well? Uh, I, I look, Lions I thought did well. Ravens did well. In your mind, who else, in addition to the two teams locally, did well in the first couple of rounds? I liked how aggressive the Lions were. They got Hutchinson, then you go back up for Jamison Williams. Like you said, they did a really, really nice job. I actually like what the Atlanta Falcons did yesterday. I, I, and I don't even, I'm not a Desmond Ritter guy, but he fell so late that you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, why not? I just like how much better they got in the middle of their defense. They got two pass rushers that I was high on. D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky, Arnold DeBacati from Penn State. Those guys can fix the, the, the league's worst pass rush. Troy Anderson, the linebacker from Montana State, he's one of the best athletes in the entire draft. They got an impact wide receiver in Drake London early. So the Falcons... I don't know how much people are really going to care about them this year with Marcus Mariota being the starter. It's a slow and steady build over there, but they did a really, really good job. And then you just can't overlook the first-round talent the Baltimore Ravens kept getting. They got Kyle Hamilton, top-ten player at pick 14. Tyler Linderbaum, top-five player for me at pick 25. David Ajabo, another first-round grade for me in round two. Travis Jones, my last first-round grade for me in round three. So the Ravens, uh, they're looking around. 
I'm saying Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, everybody in the AFC, uh, the AFC West, and they're saying, you know what? We're just going to start building the defense and build this thing lockdown. And, and if that was the mission, mission accomplished. All right. I mean, it's always a pleasure. I wish we chatted more than once a year, but you do phenomenal, phenomenal work. So, Connor, have a great rest of the draft. Uh, get some rest after that, and hopefully we get a chance to catch up soon. Absolutely, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe uh, maybe the Mets will throw another, another no-hitter, one of the games I missed this year, of course. So it's a lot of fun. Always great talking to you. You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com.